Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. John Piper, the author of Desiring God, tells a life-changing story he heard from his evangelist father growing up, a story that haunted him the rest of his life. He writes, The church had prayed for a particular man for decades. He was hard and resistant. But this time, for some reason, he showed up when my father was preaching. At the end of the service, during a hymn, to everyone's amazement, he came and took my father's hand. They sat down together on the front pew of the church as the people were dismissed. God opened his heart to the gospel of Christ, and he was saved from his sins and given eternal life. But that did not stop him from sobbing and saying as tears ran down his wrinkled face, I've wasted my life. I've wasted it. God created Adam with a heart that wants to accomplish a mission that matters. This episode takes a careful look at what this mission is and how it relates to our everyday motivation for living. We then consider some concrete questions you can use to better focus on the mission Christ has assigned you and me to accomplish in our everyday lives. Thanks for joining us today for Season 3, Episode number 29 of Mission-Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. This is the second episode in our series, Understanding the Masculine Passions that Drive Us. Last week, we considered the enormous capacity of the masculine heart for loyalty, a deep desire to hear well done from our earthly father and then our heavenly father or King Jesus. We reminded ourselves that there is no more decorated warrior, no more compelling commander, no more loving master, no more inspiring example, no more deserving king, no more worthy Lord to want to please than King Jesus. Not only does the masculine heart yearn for a king to honor, But God has shaped the masculine heart to also yearn to impact the world around him, to change it, to shape it, to make a difference upon his surroundings, a difference that matters. So let's look at what scripture says about a man's calling to impact those around him. First, from Genesis 1.28, humans are to rule creation for God. We read, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. John Piper writes, our creation in God's image leads directly to our privilege and duty to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. This implies that part of what it means to be human is to exercise lordship over creation and give the world shape and order and design that reflects the truth and beauty of God. God makes man, so to speak, his ruling deputy and endows him with godlike rights and capabilities to subdue the world to use it and shape it for good purposes, especially the purpose of magnifying the Creator. 
We also see a man's calling to impact those around him in Genesis 2.15. Adam specifically is placed in the garden to cultivate the garden, that is to bring out its potential. Genesis 2.15, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it, or to work it, and to keep it. Adam's calling is to shape God's creation, including the relationships that emerge as the earth's resources are discovered and utilized for the betterment of mankind. Goods are exchanged, and the growing population needs just laws to regulate their interpersonal behavior. The interaction of goods and services with people, growing families, and worship is called culture, from the word avad or cultivate, what Adam is called to do as he impacts the garden and, of course, the world. As the high king's sub-rulers, vice-regents, with the law of God written on their hearts, King Adam and Queen Eve are to rule creation causing earth to be a kingdom of righteousness. But, of course, sin enters in. After Adam and Eve rebel, their kingdom is surrendered to the triumvirate Satan, sin, and death. The second Adam brings the righteous rule of God down from the kingdom of heaven to spread over earth by going to the cross and redeeming Adam's kingdom from Satan, sin, and death. Now, Christians recover Adam's calling to spread the kingdom of righteousness over the earth. In the third text of Scripture, Jesus taught, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Jesus had already taught in that same sermon to pray for the spread of that kingdom of righteousness. Back in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 10, pray then like this, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which of course means righteously. Adam's calling to shape the garden for the high king is renewed for the new humanity. Christian men, see Ephesians 2.15, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Galatians 6.11, where Christians are called the new humanity. Well, let's take a look at the many facets of this diamond of this masculine calling to shape our world for the high king. First, it begins in Genesis 1 with the command to subdue the earth. This means to conquer, to bring into subjection, to order. Now, women are addressed in this verse as well. The feminine part of subduing may be the bringing order at which most women excel. Men have an innate desire to conquer whatever needs to be conquered. Subdue, whether what needs to be conquered is the task, the mountain, or the opposing team. Boys dream of being the hero who conquers the evil force. As Dave Murrow observes, boys do not dream of sitting in a cubicle. They dream of slaying the dragon, rescuing the princess, and absconding with the treasure. My boyhood fantasy was to catch the winning pass in the Super Bowl. I can't tell you how many times I stretched out my arms and fell across my bed, hauling in that game winner 
as the crowd went wild in the stands. Well, in Genesis 2.15, the Hebrew word for working or cultivating the garden is avad. Since Adam's call is to impact the garden, to change it, Adam is by nature goal-driven. He wants to accomplish. That's what this word means. He wants to overcome obstacles. There's a reason why men default to wanting to solve their wives' problems instead of listening to their feelings. We are created to solve problems. We are designed by God to change the surroundings. And then this word avad also explains why men love challenges. Genesis 2.15 teaches us that Adam's calling is to improve the garden, to overcome the obstacles that prevent it from reaching its full potential. The masculine heart derives pleasure from overcoming challenges, whether it is simply racing from the store to the car or a five-year-old seeing if he can jump off that high table. Men's hearts are wired to respond to challenge. And then Adam's calling to Avad, that is to impact the garden to make it better, explains, in my opinion, why men want to win so much. Winning is simply the challenge. It represents the fact that we have overcome the obstacle, our opponent. Do you know any man who even wants to play a game if there's no way to keep score? Keeping score and winning can certainly be motivated by pride. But more often, they are simply part of the masculine hardwiring, deriving pleasure from taking on a challenge and measuring whether we've overcome it or not. And then Adam's call to cultivate Avad the garden means causing its inhabitants to become fruitful. This includes all living things that dwell in the garden, not just the plants, trees, and animals, but Eve and their children as well. This masculine mandate is therefore the call to servanthood. We sweat, we work, we expend ourselves so that others flourish. That is what Jesus did for his bride. He gave himself so that we might flourish, not only live eternally, but by his resurrection power poured out by the Holy Spirit in us, partake of the abundant life that is the path of righteousness. At the heart of masculine leadership in the home and church is spending myself so that those under my care reach their full potential. Jesus pointed out this aspect of leadership. He said, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. And then God's decision to make Adam's primary assignment, cultivating Avad, the garden, reflects the extremely high value that God places on the development of creation's potential and the human culture which grows from a garden into a city, the New Jerusalem. Our creation calling means that a man is to exercise dominion for Christ in every sphere of his life, his heart attitudes, marriage, neighborhood, workplace, and every area of society in which he participates. But this calling has often been lost by a branch of Christianity that devalues the physical world and elevates the spiritual world. After all, this view argues, God says, do not love the world or the things in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. However, the world used in this verse is not synonymous with God's creation because God loves the world. He tells us that in John 3.16. Rather, it refers to the attitude of rebellion against God that is present in our current world and culture, not the entire culture, which experiences a measure of common grace. Christians are not to separate from culture, nor make the current culture our enemy. We are to transform culture as salt, light, and leaven. The proof that John's command, do not love the world or the things in the world, does not refer to God's creation, nor to current culture, is the next verse, which identifies ungodly attitudes within the culture, not the culture itself. He continues, for all that is in the world, number one, the desires of the flesh, number two, the desires of the eyes, and number three, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. God's creation and common grace are from the Father. And then God's decision to make Adam's primary assignment, cultivating Avad, the garden, reveals the high value God places on vocational work. Many Christian men suddenly feel like their time devoted to their vocational work is wasted. And this episode is about not wasting your life. But the idea that sacred work, ministry done by missionaries and the clergy, was superior to secular work, work done by everyday lay Christians, was a heresy. It grew out of the way Roman Catholicism that rooted sin in the physical world led to a sacred, secular divide. Martin Luther, in wanting to oppose this heresy, the remnants of which still exist, wrote, A cobbler, a smith, a farmer, each has the office of his trade, and yet they are all alike consecrated priests and bishops. And everyone, by means of his own work or office, must benefit and serve every other, that in this way many kinds of work may be done for the bodily and spiritual welfare of the community, even as all the members of the body serve one another. Well, this calling to shape the garden and its culture, Avad, also lies at the root of the masculine yearning for adventure identified by John Eldridge in his popular work, Wild at Heart. Eldridge writes, Adventure is written into the heart of a man, and it's not just about having fun. Adventure requires something of us. It puts us to the test. While I believe that Eldridge rightly recognizes this characteristic of the masculine heart, I also believe that the application of this principle to a men's ministry focus on outdoor adventure is misguided and short-sighted. Yes, men love the out-of-doors and they love challenges, but the adventure is impacting our world for Jesus. The most fruitful risk-taking, which is a part of adventure, is stepping out in faith to share Jesus, to speak the truth to those in the culture, knowing it may lead to rejection, to standing for righteousness in the face of opposition, In short, the adventure is not in repelling or skydiving, but in spreading Christ's kingdom of righteousness over a fallen earth. So, a few thoughts on the multifaceted diamond of this concept of man being created for impact. 
How does the fall then affect this masculine desire for impact? And of course, there are many, many ways. But let's look at just a few. God has hardwired the human heart so that pleasure flows into the masculine heart when we achieve our goal, whether it is fixing our broken garage door or mastering a new software program. The word that describes achieving our goal is the word success. Success can be intoxicating to the masculine soul, driving men to sacrifice their physical health, their marriage, their relationship with their kids their spiritual health, on the altar of success. We must be aware that God's design of the masculine heart to find great pleasure from impacting our surroundings, from accomplishing things, from succeeding, causes that success to easily become an idol. Luke tells us that Jesus gave this parable, Luke 12, Verses 16 to 21, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here's a man who was very successful. He reached his goals and then some, but he was not rich toward God. Well, what does Jesus mean by rich toward God? The answer comes later in the Luke 12 text in verse 30. Do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Seeking the kingdom of God is Adam's calling to cultivate the garden, Avad, which is renewed by Jesus. It is to seek to implement Christ's righteous agenda over the earth in every sphere of a man's life, his heart attitudes and role as husband, father, employee or employer, neighbor, church member, citizen, steward of resources, and ambassador for the kingdom. The rich man of Luke 12 experienced success, but not significance. The only way our lives matter eternally, significance, is when we exercise dominion over our lives for Christ, the High King. The honor that brings to Him matters eternally. That is not just success, but significance. So, how can we maximize our impact for Christ in the various spheres of our lives? Here are some questions and suggestions to help us think through shaping our lives, not just for success, but significance. That is, how can we focus on Christ's agenda, his goals, the spread of righteousness, the restoration of his creation to what it was intended to be? Let's start with the sphere of our love relationship with Christ. A few questions to help us. Are you remembering to celebrate God's unconditional love for and delight in you? as the Father's adopted Son and Jesus' bride? Think through how all love relationships grow. 
Ask God to give you eyes to see his greatness so you can delight in him. When you don't want to obey him, as I sometimes don't want to, ask him to make you willing to be made willing to obey and trust him. If your repeated surrender to lust makes you feel disgusting to God, ask him to take the truth that you are clothed in Christ's robe of righteousness from your head to your heart. If you are discouraged because trying to live for Christ is so hard, ask Jesus to be your motivation again. What about the second area, second sphere, Christ-like character? Paul tells us this is profoundly important to God, Romans 8, 28 through 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And what is that purpose? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Think through how you can better focus on becoming Christ-like in your attitudes. Since the above verse links trials to Christ-like character, you might try to link the frustrations God is taking you through to character that he is testing. You might take 30 minutes to read through the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, through 23, or Peter's chain of virtues, 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 8, defining each quality in your own mind and what its opposite is. That seems to be the fallow ground that the Spirit of God uses in my life to bring conviction. Ask God's Spirit to both encourage you and convict you in your growth toward godliness. What about our love relationship with our wife if we're married? You might ask, what can I do to better honor Jesus by loving my bride as he loves his? Think through her spiritual battles. Do you need to pray for those more intently? Have you spoken words of praise into her heart recently? Or what about your love relationship with your kids, whatever age they are? If your kids are still at home, you might ask, am I working the plan my wife and I have for the discipline of the kids, or does it need some fresh attention? Do you need to remember again how your prayers actually give strength to them for their spiritual battles? Exodus 17, 8 through 13. Or to know how much God loves them? Ephesians 3, verses 17 through 19. Is there an encouraging word you might say or text to them? Or consider the workplace. Have you gotten worn down in praying for opportunities to love well a few of your closest friends at work whom God has put on your heart? Do you need to be more compassionate or maybe more firm toward those who work for you? Is there anything you can do at work to cause the work environment to be one that values every human as a precious image bearer of God? Or consider your role as a neighbor and in your nation. Is there a sphere of culture where you have influence or that is on your heart in which you need to make your voice heard, protecting the unborn? Or is there a sphere of culture where you have a burden to winsomely make known the argument that radical transgender ideology is harming teen girls in the fields of medicine, public education, government policy, or women's sports? Just a few practical questions to help think through how we might be impacting the spheres of our lives for Christ. 
Nobody wants to waste his life, especially those called to be followers of Christ. May we know the pleasure of significance because we know we are impacting every sphere of our lives for Christ. To summarize this episode, God created the masculine heart to find pleasure in making an impact, solving a problem, accepting the challenge of overcoming the obstacles to reaching a worthy goal, changing the world around us. This calling to subdue the earth reveals why men love to conquer, achieve, make a difference, change the world, and keep score so they know they have done what it takes to win. Indeed, even men's love of adventure can be traced back to the pleasure and calling of making an impact. Risk is just another challenge to be met and overcome. God hardwired the masculine heart to experience pleasure from overcoming obstacles and succeeding at our goals. Indeed, such pleasure is so intoxicating that it can lead to the idol of success overtaking our lives. What is especially deadly about this idol is that work success is usually much easier than achieving life significance, which lasts. Significance is impacting every sphere of life for King Jesus to implement his goals, his agenda of righteousness. Unquestionably, winning, reaching our goal, success feels good. But success compared to significance is like black and white compared to color, like two-dimensional compared to three-dimensional, like a swallow of refreshing water compared to a tall glass full of refreshing water. The masculine heart was made to be refreshed through significance, implementing the agenda of King Jesus in every sphere of life. For further prayerful thought, number one, how would you support the idea that men are made to impact the world around them through the biblical texts of Genesis 1, 28, 2, 15, Matthew 6, 9 through 10, and 6, 33? See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. This link is also in your show notes. Next week, we continue our summer series, Understanding the Masculine Passions That Drive Us, by examining our masculine calling to protect our families from physical, emotional, and spiritual harm. Thanks for listening today. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about it as together we seek to swell the ranks of strong, godly men who are leading their families and churches well. Well,